Welcome to another episode of Mutual Growth, a podcast by Penn Community Bank. I'm your host, Aaron Clark. As governments and central banks respond to the economic impact of the coronavirus pandemic, businesses and economic analysts are trying to read key indicators to inform critical decision-making. Today, I'm joined by Dorothy Jaworski, Penn Community Bank's Director of Treasury and Risk Management, to get her thoughts on the state of the economy and her forecast on what comes next. In our conversation, we discuss the key economic indicators she's watching, how and why banks are making decisions at this time of volatility, and her reaction to administration and Federal Reserve policies aimed at the economy. After the show is over, be sure to check out the show notes and links to resources at pencommunitybank.com slash podcast. All right, Dorothy Jaworski, welcome to the show. Thank you, Aaron. Well, uh, I'm sure you, like everyone else, uh, is getting used to your new schedule, your new workstation, maybe at home uh, as we work from home. Can you tell us how you've been? I've been pretty good. I moved between my living room, dining room, and kitchen most of the day. <laughs> it's, a, it's a full circuit of the world, it yes, sounds it like. it is. It is. <laughs> well, you know, a lot to cover in this episode today. I'm really excited to have you on. Before we begin, can you just give everyone listening at home uh, an idea of, of who you are, your, what your background is, and your role at Penn Community Bank? Yes. Um, I'm, I'm the treasurer of Penn Community Bank, and that means I'm in charge of managing the balance sheet, which includes loans, deposits, investments, funding, and capital. And I have to worry about what interest rate changes mean for us in terms of our income, and I make sure we have cash available when needed. And I also handle the market and interest rate risk management for the bank. I've worked at Penn Community and predecessor bank, First Federal of Bucks County, for 15 years. But in the 30 years before that, I worked at three community banks, including a mortgage company, and two large regional banks. So my career was affected by mergers, Mm -hmm. but the benefit was that I ended up here at Penn Community. Well, we're certainly glad to have you on a team, uh, especially at a time like this. Um, obviously, the first thing on everyone's mind, and in our first episode, we spoke to Christian Wagner, obviously mm-hmm. with Penn Investment Advisors, specifically about the volatility of the market and its impact on the economy. Can you speak to what you see as driving the volatility? And is there any underlying economic conditions which may be waking it, making it worse or maybe even preventing it from being worse? Uh, yes, it, uh, I've talked to Christian many times about the markets and especially volatility, and his insights are great, so I always rely on him. Um, the markets are they're generally forward-looking, and when there's uncertainty and bad news, especially now about the coronavirus, trading tends to become very volatile. And contributing to that volatility was the Federal Reserve was lowering interest rates. And in March, they did two large emergency rate cuts, which led to more uncertainty as to why they might have done that or what do they know that we don't. There was a rush for liquidity in the stock and bond markets as um, fund managers were trying to raise cash for investors selling their holdings. That led to many price distortions in stocks, which is probably the most visible because they mentioned that on TV every day. But also in a lot of the bond markets, treasuries, agencies, corporates, commercial paper had several bad weeks and municipal bonds. But um, probably what was most striking was the trouble in the treasury bond trading, something I had never seen before. They 
the prices were not fair when they when fund managers were trying to sell. But the Federal Reserve stepped in with repo and borrowing programs to backstop most of these markets. So they have calmed down, thankfully. And then I just wanted to mention um, just the other day, something new for all of us. We saw oil prices on the futures mm-hmm. contract settle at negative $37, which meant that a buyer would have to pay someone to take the contract. And that was a first for all of us, negative oil prices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Think think back to all those uh, all those years where it, it, we had the exact opposite issue. Certainly, mm-hmm. a lot of yep. things uh, different today than then. Um, yes. So, a, a key part of your job is obviously trying to suss through all this information. You rely on on key indicators um, mm-hmm. to to make some of those calls for the bank. And can you speak to what indicators you watch? And I know you and I have talked in the past about the yield curve. Is that something that folks should be keeping an eye on at this time? Uh, yes, I think so, Aaron. Um, you know, there's many, yield, there's many um, indicators out there that are forward looking. And, you know, one of them is the yield curve that's available to us every day. Another one, are, there's a couple pieces of economic data, such as the leading economic indicators and leading inflation indicators that try to look out to the future rather than just reporting what happened. But, um, you know, I, I tend to rely on the yield curve because it's generally a signal of where, you know, it's where investors believe rates are headed, you know, based on the economic outlook and inflation. It's actually probably one of the best indicators. Mm-hmm. And if it's, if it's considered what people call steep, that would be where long-term rates are a lot higher than short-term ones. The implication is that there's really good economic growth and chances for higher inflation, and they expect rates to go up in the future. However, today we have a flatter yield curve, which implies a weak economy and little to no inflation. And I'll give you an example. The 10-year treasury is at 0.60%, and the two-year treasury yield is at 0.20%. So that's not much of a spread, you know, for, say, Mm -hmm. banks, banks and their lending, Sure. You know, we usually lend long-term loans, short-term financing, and it's not much of a reward for investors and savers to lock up their funds. So really hmm. what that's telling us today is that rates are not going to rise much. They're not expected to for a long time because the economy's weak and inflation's not really a threat. Gotcha. And you just touched on it a little bit, you know, kind of the business decision that that goes, you know, that is the outcome of some of these considerations Mm -hmm. as a as a financial institution. Obviously, Penn Community Bank makes decisions on all these factors um, to be able to lend that money and be able to serve our role in the community. Can you give us a glimpse into what some of those decisions maybe day to day or week to week, what they look like, how how Mm -hmm. those are made? and how that kind of then trickles down to impact businesses and and consumers. Yeah, sure. Um, You know, we have a finance team. You know, I don't have to work by myself usually. Um, Mm. I work for the CFO, and there's other people in finance that we're constantly looking and making decisions on loan pricing, deposit pricing. We have to decide the types of loans that we want to focus on. Generally, we do that in strategic planning. But we've decided, you know, we want to be part of both business lending and consumer lending, which includes mortgages. And, you know, they Mm -hmm. they have their own risks. You know, they're very long term assets, you know, or the potential to be. 
but they can also also prepay when um, customers choose to refinance if rates come down. So we have to make decisions on how many mortgages, you know, we want to do and hold on our balance sheet. We also make decisions on opening new branches, and then we have to decide what risks to hedge. One I just mentioned would be the mortgage prepayment risk, you know, given our outlook for rates. And of course, the outlook right now is, you know, very low rates for a while. By a while, I mean at least the next probably couple, two years or so. And we monitor loan and deposit balance changes as the economy changes. And our investment and borrowing decisions are all built right around that. And just to, just to piggyback on, on that, Dorothy, I think something that I, I actually just talked to our, our CFO, Charles Field, about mm-hmm. uh, yesterday in another interview, uh, just for folks out there who maybe you know, they hear that, they understand that the banks and financial institutions are businesses, but also know that there's some, some uncertainty and, and unsettled waters on the economic front. Can you just reassure folks about, you know, the safety and soundness of Penn Community Bank as a financial organization? Yes, of course. Um, being a mutual bank, we've always made the determination to hire, uh, to hold higher than required capital levels. And that's probably the key for us. Our leverage ratio is about 12%, and our total capital at year-end 2019 was $295 million. In our annual report, we show that we have excess capital, and here's the range, from $122 million to $168 million, depending on which ratio is reviewed, but in any case, about 7% higher than the required regulatory levels to meet well-capitalized status. So, you know, we want customers to view our bank as very strong due to the strong capital. Sure. And, um, you know, secondly, um, you know, we worry about having enough loan loss reserves just in case the economy, you know, is not so good, like in today's situation. Mm -hmm. And we also worry about liquidity, making sure we can meet customers' needs for cash, both on the borrowing and deposit side. Well, then uh, hopefully that uh, can provide a little bit of solace, some, some good news that obviously the you know, folks that have uh, their money in the bank or, or loans with the bank, that they're in, in good shape. I always want to make a point mm-hmm. to, to put that out there, especially in a time like this where we're seeing so much uh, turn. Right. So, um, you know, speaking of that, and I, I seem like I'm asking you all these uh, downer questions, <laughs> but. Obviously, we've you know we've seen a lot of uncertainty, plenty of differences between this event and past economic downturns. Mm-hmm. Um, but thinking back to what people maybe are able to to refer to or try and find a, a point in the past that they can at least understand or conceptualize. For some, that maybe is the Great Depression of their parents or grandparents. Others maybe think of the two thousand eight Great Recession. Mm-hmm. Is is there any parallels or any context that you can provide for anyone? Uh, between that, you know, today and, and maybe those events? Yeah, certainly. Um, well, uh, my my mother just turned 90 years old on Monday. Oh, con- congratulations. So she was born at the beginning of the um, Great Depression of the 1930s. Wow. So she would remember that. And she has told us huh. that they were forever hungry. You know, that was mm. what she remembers most from her childhood. So, you know, ha- having witnessed many of these financial market and economic crises in my career, And I'll name a few of them because some of them were, you know, very bad and they lasted a long time. The recession of the early 1980s, the crash of 1987, there was a CRE crisis in 1990, 
the tech bubble burst in the stock market in the year 2000. We had September 11th, 2001, mm. and the housing and mortgage crisis and the Great Recession of 2008. But I've learned that while many of these will be very similar in you know crises, they come with unique challenges, but all come with volatile financial markets. So that is one constant. Volatility mm-hmm. increases during these crises. The current uh, coronavirus crisis was pretty much a forced shutdown of a significant part of the economy and me- it led to many employee layoffs. But basically what the shutdown did, it destroyed demand for products and services and left many businesses such as restaurants, hotels, airlines with little or no revenue. So, you know, we're we're expecting GDP to decline. And I say we, a collective financial markets, um, you know, to decline in the second quarter. It, the decline I'll mention a little bit later will be very large and will rival, uh, you know, the GDP decline seen in the Great Depression. But this situation is oh. different because we're going to have that decline, but we're also going to have what most people believe will be a swift improvement in subsequent quarters due to pent up demand, you know, once the re- economy's reopening. Mm-hmm. So, you know, basically, I think this crisis will last several quarters not two years like the 2008 Great Great Recession, and not a decade like the Great Depression. And I I think if I had to compare it to any one of the crises I mentioned, it would be most like September 11th, because there was a sudden decline in economic Mm -hmm. activity, and several quarters later, the economy was growing again and back on track. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I think obviously everyone remembers the events of September yeah. 11th, but maybe aren't, aren't thinking of the, the financial and economic kind of fallout right. from that. Yeah. So that's a, that's, a, that's a great reference mm-hmm. point. Um, l- like any crisis, obviously, uh, whether it's at the local, state or federal level, there's obviously efforts to assist when it comes to policy. Um, whether it's been the CARES Act um, and the associated economic relief, we've seen lending options um, from Washington or even, you know, the, the moves that you mentioned having seen from the Fed, what do you think that response ha- has been? Has it overall been good in kind of helping uh, or, or is it, you know, we're still kind of feeling our way through a really unprecedented situation? Well, we're still feeling our way, but I, I do believe that both the Federal Reserve and Congress, they acted very decisively and very appropriately in providing relief to individuals and businesses. And notice I said relief, not stimulus. This is just, mm-hmm. you know, lost revenue, lost salaries. They're relieving people trying to fill in with cash that those people have lost. It, the Fed cut rates two times in March, and they added another um, 3.4 or 3 to $4 trillion in lending programs to support the financial markets. So I, I do think that Fed Chairman Powell, I think he's a real hero that, you know, he came through. He stepped in decisively and calmed the markets when they needed the Fed most. Um, Congress also acted appropriately, and they passed the $2.3 trillion in relief bills, including the CARES Act, and that got the Mm -hmm. needed cash right into the hands of people, you know, people and businesses that desperately needed it. Another hero of that situation was um, Secretary of the Treasury, Steve Mnuchin, who negotiated, you know, to get, um, you know, 
payments to individuals and the small business mm-hmm. programs. Sure. Yeah. Obviously, a, a lot of moving parts on, on that yeah. front. And but, we're still uh, waiting today for Congress to pass the following or the follow on bill to increase the small business lending program. The House is supposed yeah, to that'll, be voting today. Yeah, that'll be a, an interesting you know, thing for us to continue monitoring. And maybe we can have you back on in a couple of weeks, hopefully as things mm-hmm. get better, but to see what what you know, congressional action continues to look like as, as the response yeah. for this, you know, is going to be, is going to be so right, large. Right. Um, I, I wouldn't be a good interviewer if I didn't ask you to, uh, to take a look into your crystal ball um, as best you can, taking all the things that we've discussed into consideration. And, and can you give a sense of where you think we're heading um, maybe in this pandemic period, but also what does a post pandemic economy look like? Yeah, I think I can provide a couple um, the projections will not be mine, of course. I don't have a field of economists sure. working for me, but I do have access <laughs> to you know the financial markets and all of their projections. And I will say that the projections right now have to be so difficult because parts of the economy are open. Some people are working from home, and it looks like the business is shuttered, but it's not. And then some parts mm-hmm. are clearly closed. So, you know, I can all I can compare us to is last year we grew at 2.3% in GDP. And the size of our economy was $21 trillion for the year. So, you know, I, I don't think anybody will be surprised when I say we're not going to be near this in 2020. But there's estimates by the Federal Reserve of St. Louis that we are losing an astounding $25 billion per day during the lockdown wow. and crisis. You know, if that goes on for 90 days, it's close to $2 trillion, which coincidentally is the amount Congress is trying to pipe pipe into the economy. But some of the economic projections, they sound frightening, um, you know, for the second quarter. And there's a wide range of economic projections. I've seen anywhere from negative 14% to negative 40% annualized, which is... The large, if it came in at the negative 40%, that would be the largest ever. Even the Fed of St. Louis shows they project negative 30% for the second quarter. But the good news is the third quarter is expected to bounce back at anywhere from plus 2% to plus 23%. So you can see how wow. difficult it is to project based on these sure. ranges. Unemployment, you know, no one's going to be surprised when they see the unemployment rate rising because people are out of work now. But if we if that rate heads up, it's expected to fall back down by year end, but perhaps not to the lows we had already seen. But um, you know, as Congress stepped in with the, you know, the CARES Act and the follow-on that we're expecting today, um, they'll actually be adding a huge amount of new debt to fund these programs. Mm-hmm. So that will likely keep GDP growth at one to one and a half percent in the next few years, rather than the two percent that we experiencing for, say, the past 10 years. But, you know, as bad as that second quarter is, there's widespread hope for the third and fourth quarters. And the positive news is we have overcome every crisis that I mentioned to you before, and I do believe we'll overcome this one, too. 
No, you're right. That is uh, that is absolutely a positive note, and, and certainly the the right note for us to wrap mm-hmm. up on. Before I let you go, before I let you go, I know you produce a great quarterly economic update for anyone listening who wants to get access to that, learn a little bit more about you know what indicators you're watching, and get added to that list. How can they sign up to receive that directly to their inbox? Yeah, um, what they can do, they can um, add a message on our website or contact me directly. You can call the bank or email. And if you'd like to be added to our email distribution, um, you know, just let us know. Um, Another alternative is to like us or follow us on Facebook or LinkedIn because we routinely post it there. Nope. That's a, that's a great point. We'll make sure to have that contact information in the show notes for everyone. And that'll be fantastic. Well, uh, Dorothy Jaworski, we covered a lot today, but thank you so much for joining us. Stay okay, safe and be well. Thank you so much, Aaron. It was, it was a pleasure to be with you today and stay safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mutual Growth, a podcast by Penn Community Bank. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating. And as always, keep up with the latest from Penn Community Bank by following us on Instagram and Facebook at Penn Community Bank and connecting with us on LinkedIn. For more information about this podcast, links to past episodes, and to learn more about community-first banking, just visit pencommunitybank.com slash podcast. Mutual Growth is the official podcast of Penn Community Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. It is produced for the benefit of current and prospective customers and partner organizations. This program is provided solely for educational and entertainment purposes. The information contained herein is based on sources believed to be reliable, but is not represented to be complete and its accuracy is not guaranteed. The opinions, views, and estimates expressed are those of the presenters at the date of production and are subject to change without notice. Please email marketing at pencommunitybank.com regarding booking or repurposing any part of this podcast.